Andrew's preaching this morning, and I'm excited for what he has to share with you. The reading is the book of 2 John, which I was rapidly looking on my phone what the reading was, because I didn't know which part of 2 John, and I forgot that 2 John doesn't have parts. (laughs) We're just going to read all of it. This is the word of the Lord. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part of his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. May God add understanding to the reading of his word. So good morning. So when we think of the new year, we often think about New Year's resolutions. Perhaps we want to think about something like budgeting or spending more time with family or something along those lines. While these are all good things, there is something that is more fundamental that we need to bring to our focus. I'm talking about the place of our lives before God. We very much tend to view the things of God as something that we simply need to fit somewhere into our schedules, not realizing that it is the things of God that our whole life is all about, and that these things, far from being merely needed to fit into our schedules, are due to determine our schedules. That is, our priorities are often so inverted towards the common things and concerns of this world, even good things, that we fail to realize that we're actually relegating God to the margins, the one who is the source of every good thing. When this happens, God is getting our leftovers rather than having his priorities determine its structure and hence receiving the allegiance of our lives. So as we face the new year, let us reflect, let us reflect on the true peace that God should or sorry, true place that God should and even must have in our lives as his soldiers of his kingdom. And may we be receptive to the call of scripture for us today. At this time, that call comes from 2 John. 
We so often tend to overlook short books of the Bible, thinking that its brevity somehow makes them less valuable or less edifying than other biblical books. Yet there's good reason why they have all been included in the biblical canon. They each contribute to the full sufficiency of God's word, and this includes 2 John. 2 John itself is a beautifully and even meticulously crafted letter meant to teach core Christian truths very concisely. Some even call 2 John a cover letter or summary of 1 John. 2 John itself has been applied to meet a specific need, the need to discern the fruit of genuine believers from the fruit of deceivers. In 2 John, we find the gospel. We find the meaning and place of abiding in Christ and even how that relates to the truth and love of Christ. All of 2 John serves to equip believers for discernment in a very practical way. We find the reason for John giving his letter in verse 9. The letter's recipients were dealing with false teachers, and as we can see highlighted in verse 9, 2 John focuses on equipping the church to distinguish between the fruit of genuine believers and the fruit of deceivers. So, we will focus on understanding the genuine fruit verses one through six, and then look at how this compares with the fruit of the deceiver, which is verses seven through 11. We will also see how John teaches we should handle deceivers in the church. It will be good for us to start with a bird's eye view of verses one through six, and then get into more detail. In verse one, John teaches that all who know the truth love in truth, because the truth abides in us, in believers forever showing also that they have the Father and the Son. That is a central theme to 2 John, and what John will use as a proof against deceivers later on. It is worthwhile to know that the eight verses preceding verse 9 also have a distinct form called a chiasm. A chiasm has parallel parts from beginning to end, like an ABCBA pattern, with its center revealing the focal point of its message. That focal point is in verse 5, that we love one another. Verses one through eight serve as an explanation of that love, both what it is and what it isn't. And this love can be summarized in these verses as follows. All who know or abide in the truth love others in the truth. And this truth, which is from the Father and the Son, will abide in us forever, verses one through three. Walking or living out this truth in love refers to obeying the Father's command which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, verses four through five. In short, the Father's command is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and from that, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus reaffirmed this in each of the four gospels, but applied as loyalty to himself. In verse six, this love is described as that we walk according to his commandments showing that the command to love one another entails obeying God's commandments from a heart after God, but this by the grace given to us through Christ's work and ministry, as verse 7 makes clear. Let us now look into these verses in more detail so that we can properly understand and use what John is teaching us about this distinctly Christian love in truth. Verses 1 and 2 say, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us 
and will be with us forever. The way that John uses the title, the elect lady and her children, is another way of referring to the sister church and those who are its members. In other words, John is writing as an elder to a local church. He also ends his letter by calling the church that he is writing from the children of your elect sister. So in other words, one sister church is writing to another sister church through the elder, the apostle John. By saying that he loves them in the truth, John is saying that his love for the church is according to and in line with the truth. However, John did not stop there. He said that all who know the truth are those who love the church, the elect lady in truth. So notice a significant point here. There's a direct and necessary connection between the love of believers and the truth. Christian love is something that is inherently based in the truth. That is how love is defined. So there's no such thing as genuine Christian love that is not also then rooted in the truth of God's word. Any so-called love that is not rooted in the truth is therefore a counterfeit love and should be rejected. Examples of this counterfeit love are things like accepting or endorsing homosexual practice, encouraging abortion, illicit sex, redefining marriage or anything that is sinful or against God's designs and therefore hated by God. True Christian love conforms to the truths, commands, and teachings of God's word, which reflect the desires and character of our holy and good God. Many things that the world would regard as love are, in fact, anything but loving. Worldly love is a rejection of the truth and therefore cannot be loving. So notice that verse 2 then gives the reason why loving in the truth marks all genuine believers. The reason is because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The truth that we love others from is an abiding truth that, in that increasingly characterizes all genuine believers. For John, this is what marks genuine believers from false ones. So this brings us to point number one. Genuine Christian love can only come out from wholehearted obedience to the truth of the Bible. I'll repeat that. Genuine Christian love can only come out from wholehearted obedience to the truth of the Bible. So does our character and life increasingly conform to the truth of God's word or to the falsehoods of the world? As we go through the next few verses, you will see that this love is of itself an outflow of us being conformed to God's word. The truth of Christ in the gospel abides in all who are genuinely saved and therefore increasingly produce the fruit of genuine repentance and a transformed life. Speaking to the redeemed church of God, which he just described, John said in verse three, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. A verse like this is easy to gloss over, but it contains significant truths that we will have as believers. Believers being those who inherently love in the truth. And note, this is not a blessing, this is not merely a blessing or a wish for believers from John. Rather, verse 3 is a definitive declaration that is about all believers, all genuine believers. Those who love in the truth will have grace, mercy, and peace from God in truth and love. 
Notice, first of all, that grace is grace, mercy, and peace from God through Christ is in truth and love. All these things that come from God are characterized by truth in love, just as all genuine believers are those characterized by truth in love. So in other words, God works out the same love for the redeemed that the redeemed then work out among one another. Love that flows out from the truth of God and is therefore characterized by that truth. This loving the truth being the common thread between us is what leads to God's unique grace, mercy, and peace being increasingly bestowed upon us. So we have a unique grace from God in that we are being made like Christ by conforming us to the truth. We have God's unique mercy in that we were chosen by God from eternity to be objects of his saving mercy. And we have the peace of Christ that reconciles us with God himself forever. All three hinge on, first of all, Christ's saving work on our behalf. And secondly, that we are then made to be increasingly like him. That is, to genuinely love according to the truth of God's word. Verse 4 then continues this thought. John said, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we are commanded by the Father. These children walking in the truth are those who love God and others in the truth, and therefore are the unique recipients of God's saving and sanctifying grace. And mercy and peace, which John, as we've seen, has just described in verse 3. So in other words, John is greatly rejoicing because he can see the genuine fruit of some people in this church, and therefore that some are truly saved. The first three verses describe those genuine some that John is rejoicing over. So notice that the command to walk in the truth or love in the truth is a command that was given by the Heavenly Father. This love is not and cannot be merely based in one's feelings. Rather, this love is clearly defined and demarcated by the Father's commandment. What is the Father's commandment? Verses 5 and 6 tell us. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. In this passage, John is telling the church that they had this commandment from the Father since the beginning. So it's not an inherently new commandment, but one that carries with it the very essence of all true allegiance and love to God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to chapter 5, verse 5, teaches that this love originates in God, is given to us when we are saved, and then grows more and more unto perfection as we grow to become more like Christ. We heard Jesus teach many times on this love. In fact, Jesus teaches this love in every one of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 22, for instance, verses 36 through 40, Jesus taught on this command. Here's the passage. A religious leader began by asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. First, notice that this question is about the great commandment in the law. He's not asking for a relative list of commandments, but for the commandment that characterizes all commandments. In other words, the summative essence of God's law. 
From this, Jesus gave us the command to love God and to love neighbor. But then concludes, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in other words, the command to love God and neighbor can only be understood, rightly understood, by applying all the truth of God's law and the prophets. Anything outside or against the teaching of scripture is therefore not love for God or neighbor. Likewise, seeking to obey any command from scripture without loving God with all one's being is therefore not obedience. All your heart, all your soul, and all your strength refer to singular allegiance given to God, repeating one's whole self three times. Not even a bit of ourselves is to be omitted from this loving, singular obedience to God's commands. Any mixed allegiance is something that is abominable to God. Mixed allegiance taints any love that we have for one another, deforming it with sin. As we will see, Jesus is now the focal point of this love that characterizes genuine believers. And it is only this way that the love can, command can be considered new. It's described in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It is now through following Christ's example of obedience to the Father, and therefore loving the Father also, that we can then love one another. We who pursue genuine obedience to Christ according to his word are conformed to become like Christ by his Holy Spirit and can therefore increasingly love one another. As 2 John said in verse 6, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. It is a commandment that encapsulates the essence of God's law and therefore includes full heart obedience to all of God's commandments in Christ. Obedience that comes from our whole selves to obey the whole of Scripture as we become more and more like Christ. So what does applying this principle look like in the Christian life? The great commandment to love God and others applies evenly to every commandment from God and is applied as loyalty to Christ. We don't need to look far in the Bible for examples of this application. Jesus gave us six in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 48, in what is traditionally called the antitheses. We will focus on just one here, but you can look at all six yourself through the week for your edification. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In the antithesis, Jesus is applying the Ten Commandments from the standard of the inner man, the heart, rather than just external behavior. 1 Samuel 16:7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And 1 Samuel 13:4, 14, teaches that the Lord seeks out men and women who are after his own heart. So this is what God has sought from testament to testament, meaning that God's commandments were never meant to be applied merely to our outward behavior, but fundamentally from the inner man. Such inward to outward obedience can only stem from a transformed heart and reflects the obedience that loves what God loves and hates what he hates, showing such a person's heart to be in the same accord as God's heart. In this heart obedience, a person's will, desires, and decisions pursue obedience to God's commands in a way that reflects inward conformity 
to God's will, desires, and decisions in giving those commands. This results in obedience from the whole person. So in the sin of adultery, it is not merely doing the external act of adultery that is sinful, but committing the same adultery in one's mind, which is a part of the heart. What happens in the heart, then, is just as liable to divine judgment as what one does with his body. Hence, genuine fruit will reflect increasing inward obedience to God's commandments and not merely external conformity. This is why the Bible teaches that the battle is for the mind and that we must renew it daily, Romans 12.2. As Luke 6.45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So the heart, the inner man, is where every good and every evil first manifests itself in us. Believers can only, unbelievers can only produce evil continually. And only those with new hearts can increasingly manifest inward conformity to God's commands. And therefore, only genuine believers can only actually love God and others. Remember that genuine Christian love is a heart orientated towards God, what he wills, desires, and commands as taught in the Bible, and not towards what the world wills, desires, and commands. God alone is love, and God's centrality in our hearts is what then leads us to increasingly manifest genuine Christian love in everything we say, do, and think. So notice that verse 7 then makes a serious shift from describing what it means to love one another as a sign that we are abiding in Christ to warning against those who would upset or distort this love. Verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. They are those who spread hate among the brethren, as if it were love. First of all, since our love for others is rooted in the truth of Christ, those who seek to distort the truth are what John calls deceivers. The particular distortion that John is warning against is the denial that Christ came in the flesh. Such a denial was characteristic of a group called the proto-gnostics, who believe that all material things are inherently evil. They deny Jesus' full humanity, which would render both his righteousness and sacrifice for humanity invalid. In other words, to distort the truth of Christ is to distort the gospel itself proving, second of all, that these deceivers were not and could not love others in the truth and were therefore disobeying the Father's command at its core. So those who mess with the truth of Christ are those who distort the love of God and others. They deform it into something ugly and sinful and therefore produce hatred for God and others, which is the exact opposite of what characterizes genuine believers. Verse 8 then warns us of the danger that such deceivers pose to those who do abide in the truth of Christ and therefore love one another. Verse 8 says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. The danger to genuine believers is that by permitting or entertaining these deceivers, they may lose or literally have destroyed much or all of their heavenly reward. 
Therefore, John commands us to watch ourselves, that is, to be diligent and sober-minded, so that we will not, as verse 11 says, give approval of the deceiver, and thus partake in his wicked works. If we are not diligent to watch ourselves in this way, then our love for others becomes compromised and ineffective. And just as a workman who compromises in his work, so we will stand to lose much of our reward a heavenly reward that is based on keeping God as our principal object of love in our lives. The purpose of our life is to become increasingly like Christ and therefore to increasingly love God and others according to the truth of God as recorded in Scripture. This means seeking to increasingly abide in Christ, meaning that our hearts, our whole selves, increasingly trust in Christ and increasingly obey Him according to the truth. That is the antidote to the deceiver and the antichrist, who would desire nothing more than to deceive us, and therefore to sabotage the love that we have in Christ. So be sober, be watchful, continue walking in the love of Christ. So all of John's teaching thus far builds up to verse 9, which reveals to us the chief reason why John wrote this letter. John has just described for us what it means to love others in the truth of Christ and has told us that those who distort the truth of Christ cannot, in turn, love as the Father commands. In verse 9, John spells out why this is significant by drawing a sharp distinction between genuine believers and deceivers. He said, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Take note that John just made the distinction between the genuine believer and the deceiver based not only on their belief in Christ's teaching, but also their abiding or living in light of that truth. This brings us to point two, the fruit of the deceiver. Distort the truth of Christ and you cannot love others. I'll repeat that. Distort the truth of Christ and you cannot love others. The truth of Christ is a necessary precursor to loving one another. And if we do not love one another in this way, then we lack the evidence that we have the Father and the Son. So the first half of verse 9 again says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. A significant significant point in verse 9 is that going on ahead, or better still, going beyond Christ's teaching, are those who reject both the authority of Christ and the sufficiency of his gospel. Christ's words, even the Bible itself, which is the word of Christ, are not taken as the authoritative, once for all delivered unto the saints, word of God Almighty himself. Instead, deceivers operate on the basis of another allegedly higher authority, aside from Christ, and therefore teach a counterfeit love and a counterfeit gospel rooted in falsehood and not in the truth. You can see by this that deceivers, even while they claim to love Christ and others, actually undermine both by their teaching. In this way, deceivers are much like the Pharisees, claiming to be divine authorities in the faith, but are as described in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Yet these deceivers, they not only deceive others with lies about Christ and his gospel, they also cannot help but lie through the conduct of their lives. How they live betrays what they believe, and since they reject Christ's teaching, they also therefore cannot abide in his teaching. 
Abiding, in turn, is the only way for anyone to love another as the Father commands. Hence, while claiming to be wise and to have access to a special or secret knowledge, deceivers show themselves to be fools in need of the light of the gospel. They are those still groping in the dark who claim to be beacons of light. They neither believe Christ nor do they abide in him. I will come back to this abiding later. So think of this as an example. See that someone came up to you, even in church, and said, the resurrection of the dead already took place. We can know this because all biblical prophecy was fulfilled in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. This is a real modern viewpoint, by the way. First of all, what is this person denying about Christ? He's denying that Christ came to rid all creation of sin and evil. He's denying that we will be made perfect and be given new, incorruptible, and glorious bodies fit for heaven, like Christ's. He's also making Christ out to be a liar by rejecting the union that we have with Christ in his death and resurrection, and thus also the truth of the sacraments of communion and baptism. I can go on, but the point is that we need to learn how to recognize when the truth of Christ is being distorted. And we need to recognize that such distortions also distort our love for one another. It is as yeast that corrupts our love for God, turning it instead into falsehood and even hatred of the Father. It has the effect of turning our worship and practice into something abominable before God, which grieves his spirit and keeps us immature in faith. Therefore, watch yourselves and be sober so that you can hold fast to the truth once for all delivered, lest you lose your heavenly reward. Instead, trust in the grace that God has provided for you. Do the work of a diligent workman, and as John said in verse 8, win a full reward. So the last half of verse 9 says, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This brings us then to point 3, which is about our need to abide in Christ to produce genuine fruit. Here's the point. A genuine believer increasingly abides in Christ and therefore increasingly loves others in the truth. I'll repeat that. A genuine believer increasingly abides in Christ and therefore increasingly loves others in the truth. Since the principal action of a genuine believer is abiding in Christ, I believe this is a good place to describe what that abiding means. But before this, Note that there's an intimate connection between the truth of the Bible as God's word and Jesus as the word. It is such that we can say the truth of Christ is God's word, the Bible, because not only is Jesus the source of all biblical revelation as the word, but the Bible is all fundamentally about him. So with that in mind, let's continue. Not only do genuine believers love from wholehearted obedience to the teaching of the Bible, which is the word of Christ, But this love is fundamentally rooted in Christ. By abiding, John means that having our hearts rooted in the person and work of Christ. This abiding is what results in our hearts that we are being continually conformed to the truth of God and therefore being made to obey his commandments from the inside out. Christ is the means of all abiding in truth and love. Another way to put this abiding is as an ongoing whole-person pursuit of Christ-likeness from Christ's own work and power. This abiding fulfills what the Father and the Son desire of us as taught in Scripture. 
in light of this, how can a deceiver be said to abide if it is only Christ himself who can support him as branches, as is taught in John 15? Can the deceiver bypass Christ? No. The deceiver is as a dry branch that is being thrown even now into the fire of God's judgment. Rather, true abiding refers to those who believe in Christ, who are pursuing righteousness in Christ, who are glued in Christ by his Holy Spirit, and who are thus nourished by Christ himself according to Christ's own word. You seen a pattern? Only those who have new hearts by God and were thus placed by God in Christ can possibly abide in the truth of Christ. Abiding characterizes only genuine believers. This abiding, first of all, is a work of God for our salvation and continuous in the faith, but is also ongoing from us, as verse 2 says, with us abiding in it forever. This is as Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So notice the connection between the Father and the Son. Everything that the Son teaches and does comes from the Father, meaning that abiding in the teaching of the Son means that we are loving the Father also. Genuine believers are thus those who believe in the teaching of Christ, the whole Bible, as their principal authority, and therefore increasingly abide living that teaching out in their lives. Godly character and godly works increasingly manifest themselves in them. And it is only from within this context of increasingly living out the teaching of Christ that from this obedience, we can then love one another according to the Father's command. So make no mistake, we cannot by our own power or might abide in truth and love. To claim otherwise would be to deny the very gospel that we are claiming to affirm. That gospel is that Christ came to die in our place, taking upon himself the sins of those who believe in him and having his own perfect sinless life reckoned for them. Thus for all who believe in Christ, they will be resurrected on the last day even as he has been resurrected unto new life with an incorruptible body and moral perfection. So we are helpless to abide on our own and absolutely need God to remove our hearts of stone, which are hearts that can only hate the truth and love of Christ, and replace them with hearts of flesh, which are hearts that can be shaped and molded to love the truth of Christ. This happens at conversion, with Christ's work alone giving us the foundation for grace needed to increasingly exhibit this love for one another. Because of this, only a genuine believer who does increasingly abide in the teaching of Christ can be said to have both the Father and the Son. Enabling and fostering this abiding is the work of the Father and the Son, evidencing that the abider possesses them both. The main danger for the believer, then, is the degree to which we abide either to the obtaining of a full heavenly reward or a loss of that reward. Obtaining the full reward means being steadfast in abiding in the truth of Christ, which then shows itself in its particular love for others. 
By contrast, a loss of heavenly reward comes from compromising in the truth by entertaining or approving of a deceiver or his teaching, for example, which then results in a compromise of abiding in that truth in love. As verses 10 through 11 say, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So in other words, Christians who show approval of either the deceiver or their beliefs compromise and therefore become partakers in the deceiver's evil works. God reckons those believers as having been co-workers with the deceiver. Rather, we need to bring forward John's teaching on abiding in Christ in truth, which alone flows from the genuine love or flows the genuine love of God and neighbor. So abiding in Christ, do as Paul commands. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, Ephesians 5.11. Do not take part in the deceiver's wicked teaching or works. Instead, increasingly abide in Christ. So here's an example. Say, for instance, that we welcome deceivers into the church or into our home, or that we speak to them as if they are fellow believers, knowing full well that they reject the Bible as their principal authority and teach novel doctrine about Christ or his gospel. What have we done other than to smear or diminish Christ's authority and communicate with our approval that Christ's teaching is not important? Have we not then denied the Lord who bought us? Have we not then denied the love of God, making it out to be something common or base? In effect, we have done all of these things. And it should then be no surprise that we will then lose out on our heavenly reward. Rather, we ought to be ready to call out a deceiver and to deny him fellowship, treating him instead as both an unbeliever and as one who poses a real danger to the very abiding in truth and love that John is teaching in his letter. If you think about it, what greater danger can one pose to a genuine believer than to upset his abiding in truth and love? This is the great danger that every believer faces while on earth, and it is this that we are commanded to be steadfast and immovable. That is the battleground, and that is the race to be won. But thanks be to God for amply supplying our every need for life and godliness. We can, through Christ, overcome. So what can we do practically to love one another and therefore walk in the truth in love? Well, we can begin by reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God, the Bible. God gave this book as the summative and complete message which is useful for every matter of faith and practice. When we have God's Word and the Holy Spirit abides in us, we have everything that we need for life and godliness taught in His pages. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As we read and study and meditate on God's word, we learn with our understanding what the truth of God is, and then the Holy Spirit uses our correct understanding of God's word to conform us to its truths, thereby increasing our love for God and others. Paul prayed for this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We need to be careful at this point 
because there are some who believe that we can bypass reading and studying God's word. That we can bypass seeking to understand and having true knowledge through our minds. These people often act as though it's unspiritual for us to study with our minds when learning God's word and that we should just feel our way around passages or somehow rely on the spirit in a way that bypasses our need to study and understand God's word. That is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, as we've seen from John, these people are deceivers and antichrists who distort the teaching of Christ and his word. That can't be avoided. Rather, as Paul said, our love needs to abound more and more, only with increasing our true knowledge of Scripture and therefore discerning truth from error. So we need to understand for ourselves what the Bible teaches and then trust God to use the truth to conform us to Christ's likeness. So there's no shortcut to spiritual growth. And seeking to bypass our understanding of God's word with our minds can only lead to destruction. Rather, as genuine believers, we come to crave learning the truth of God from his word. We desire to be rightly anchored in his word so that we can love God and others truly. This is why giving expository sermons and being careful to teach God's word accurately are so important. It is only as we understand and submit to God's word, rightly divided and taught, that we can grow in this love that is in the truth. Yet we don't merely stop with our understanding. That's only the starting point. Once we understand a biblical truth, we can pray to God that he will turn it into a conviction and apply it in our lives. We then seek to live it out continually in our lives and trust in God to make this love manifest in us. It is something that we then continue pursuing with our whole selves, our heart, with God as our chief love and others as those who most directly benefit. So what we come to understand from Scripture then becomes increasingly a part of us and therefore we increasingly love in truth. God will do this in each person according to his divinely given ability. And the level of our mental ability does not put a cap on that maturity. God will transform all genuine believers onto full maturity as they pursue, as they continue pursuing, abiding in Christ in truth and love. So we ought to destroy everything in our lives that's contrary to the truth of the Bible and seek to conform to all that is in the truth of God's word. Our whole lives, not merely a part, is what God seeks to conform to this abiding in truth and love. This takes humility and a contrite heart, submitting to God above all as the greatest of all. This means seeing everything in the world as small when compared to the truth and majesty of God. When compared, God is infinitely enormous, and everything else is infinitesimally small. So, we give our whole selves as a living sacrifice to God, which is a holy act of worship that is pleasing to him. We do this only as we seek to humbly learn and understand God's word. And once we understand it, then take it to God and trust him to conform us to it. And then pursue full orbs love for God through obedience to the truth that we have understood. This will mean having our whole lives overhauled to make way for conforming to the truth of God in love in everything. May we too be among the same, be among the some rather, John talked about in the church, who increasingly love in the truth, and therefore be those walking in the truth 
just as we were commanded by the Father. So let's pray. God, thank you that we can take the opportunity to hear your word from 2 John taught and applied. We pray that John's teaching will fill our hearts, that we may truly abide in the truth of Christ, and from that, love one another as Christ has loved us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a way to grow in obedience to your commands through your love in Christ. You have not left us as orphans, but caused your love to grow in us as we increasingly abide in Christ. We pray that the love of our lives will be your love, a love that is taught through your commands and by Christ's example and not the counterfeit love of the world. We pray that your love and truth will abound in us more and more. As we, will be so, as we pray, we also pray that we will be sober and watchful for those who would seek to nullify or diminish that love in the truth as we abide in Christ. And so we too can receive the full heavenly reward to the praise and magnification of the glory of God through Christ. Amen.
parties. Yeah.